Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Uh, how are you? Good. It's good to be here. <laughs> it's great to be here. Uh, we're doing listener email shows today. We got quite a few emails this week, so uh, we're just kind of going to skim them and go through them as we record. Um, before we start, did you see this? Did you see this picture of Robinson Cano? Uh, the one that you called him fat. <laughs> Essentially, yes. Is it, is it just me? I didn't actually look at it. Oh. Uh, Let me look at it. Let me yeah, look. I'm going to send it to Here you. Typing. <laughs> uh, I'll send it to you. It's, no, I don't, I'm not looking. I have the internet. I don't know whether it's just me or... He looks huge. He looks massive. <laughs> he does. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. It's like... I mean, the, there's a billow that could be... Right. Not, but even if you take, even if you look past the the, the stomach, yes. he looks like his face looks thick. Right. His neck, his neck has neck fat, and his <laughs> his back is is enormous. It looks, yeah. Someone someone re- replied to my tweet and said that it was an outdoors photo shoot, and so he was wearing many win? many layers, and there was. Oh. But his yes. face his face still looks large. I don't know whether. His face it's, looks- uh, Somewhat large, yeah. The David Ortiz beard he has going on now, or what? But uh, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not the picture that I would want to put out to the world if I were the Mariners' PR department, bragging about the big superstar we just signed, the like what? literally big superstar. I, um, clever. That was clever. Thank you. Uh, do you, do you uh, suppose this becomes a big, uh, a big thing for the next three months? <laughs> well, I hope so. I was just thinking that. On the on the pantheon of like fat player pictures, I think it falls somewhere between uh, fat Derek Jeter and and fat Chipper Jones, both of which I, I enjoyed very much. Uh, and it, it was falls, wait, so it falls between them. So it's was better Jeter, than fat Jeter. I it's think. better. It better for him or better for just, us? Just better for us. Just more entertaining uh, for us. I, but fat Chipper, fat Chipper is fat retired Chipper. though. Yeah, but I I really enjoyed Fat Chipper, and it's what great about- because you never you never know for sure whether it's just deceptive photography or not. Because the the day after Fat Jeter, there was like a a, a regular looking Jeter picture, but it still sort of persisted for a while. So I hope that this becomes a, a storyline that we track until opening day. Is this a bigger deal than Fat Mike Trout was? <laughs> oh right, I forgot about that one. No, um, that was a pretty big deal. Uh, that was that was that was real, right? At least briefly. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, he was. Yeah, he he gained a lot of weight, and he says that he always comes to camp weighing more and loses weight as he goes. I think. Uh, well, I I was okay with the Robinson Cano deal until I saw this picture. <laughs> now I'm a little worried. Uh huh. <laughs> All right. It's only December. I mean, it's, I know. I'm, I'm he's kidding. got no he's got no obligation to to be in shape right now, and. It probably doesn't take that long to, to get into shape. I mean, it's four months until a, a, a baseball game happens. Yeah. Put on the off-season 15. Fine with me. Um, 
Okay. I've gained a few. I've gained a few since the season ended. You wouldn't want to see me. You can gain as many as you want, as long as it doesn't affect your podcasting performance. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so uh, let's let's start. Speaking of large players, I guess let's start with this question from Dan, who says, after you guys discussed Bartolo Colon and his contract, it got me thinking on a general level about how Colon's value may be different in the AL versus the NL. Then I thought about the biggest difference between the two leagues, that now, as a Met, Colon will have to bat two to three times per game. One would figure that at his size, age, and general distaste for looking interested, Cologne is a prime candidate for a zero batting average season. Obviously, the Mets wouldn't care about that, but are there any examples where it might make sense for a team to value a pitcher differently because of the potential for offensive contribution? I think this might come into play in the NL, where relative to the league, an excellent hitter could be standard deviations above the mean. So Bartolo Cologne is a he is a career 104 112 104 hitter uh, in 104 plate appearances, most most of which came many years ago. Um, in his last, uh, let's see, since since 2006, his last hit was in 2005. And since 2006, he's had 19 plate appearances and has uh, not reached base and has has struck out 10 times with a couple sacrifices. Um, how many I wrote th- about this once. Do you remember this? Do you remember when I wrote about this? About Cologne specifically? Or no, just, about just whether hitters? teams teams should yeah. pay attention to their... Yeah. You, you do remember that, because I did yeah. not remember that. <laughs> now that you mentioned it, I do. I had I didn't. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, so I I did an article last offseason about whether, uh, how, whether the difference is um, persistent and whether it's significant enough. And so here's the conclusions. The spread between uh, the the top and bottom pitchers for non-pitching warp, which includes fielding, base running, and batting, is about was 1.9 wins last year, um, which is the equivalent to the value of Carlos Beltran in 2012 and had a correlation, a year-to-year correlation uh, for pitchers of about 0.35. And uh, I concluded that paying a pitcher like Tommy Hansen a bit more to pitch in the AL or a pitcher like Mike Leake to pit a bit more to pitch in the NL is a justifiable market decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to put in an over-under on Bartolo Colon's batting average for 2014? Uh, well, nobody ever goes hitless. You know, no. that's, that's the weird thing about baseball is they all get hits. And most of them uh, fall in that, like, 270 OPS range, which is about where Colon is career. Yeah. Uh, it's possible that he – I mean, I remember when I was – Growing up, uh, Rick Russell had just given up on the idea. And uh, I don't know if the stats would back me up on this, but I remember Rick Russell would just come up and put the bat like lazily on his shoulder and stand as far away from the plate as he could and then walk away. And <laughs> Cologne seems like the kind of guy who would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also sort of seems like the kind of guy who might be like Don Robinson and just have actually have a, a, like a lot of power and take big swings. So... We'll see one way or the other, but I doubt that he... I would just bet that he'll fall somewhere between the 20th and 80th percentile of hitters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to look up Rick Rush on that, so we can talk. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, well, we can take this question then from Nicholas, who asks uh, or says, I don't understand the concept that the Rays will not consider trading David Price within the division. Obviously, it's not ideal to have him face... Uh, 
face his old team, I guess, three to four times per year, but there must be a point where an offer is too good to pass up. To me, if I were to receive an offer that provided, say, 120% of the value from a divisional opponent, then the added value would seem to considerably outweigh facing him three to four times per year. What do you guys think? Is there a point where the value is too much to pass up? If so, how much more? Uh, so some uh, a listener sent us a an, an excerpt or an interview with Alex Anthopoulos last week where he was talking mostly about... Uh, like the Doug Fister trade and whether whether the Blue Jays had been in on it or or how it works when you're a team that sees someone traded for what seems like not a, a big return. Are you upset that you you didn't get a call from that team asking you to match the offer and that sort of thing? But the the hosts asked him at the end of the interview about price, and of course he couldn't really answer without tampering. So he he very gingerly danced around the question and and said, if there were a player like David Price who were available, hypothetically, uh, and he, he, he basically ruled out the, the idea of going after such a player because of the trading within the division thing. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's something that certainly is on every general manager's mind to this day. I used to think that it was the, one, of the, one of the dumber things. That back when I thought, back when I was convinced that everybody in baseball was really stupid, uh, <laughs> this was a prime example of teams being stupid. Because if you think that the trade is a good trade for you, uh, and then you should actually be more happy to trade within your division. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know whatever you gain, your whatever talent you gain, you're taking from a division opponent. So either have some confidence in your assessments, or just go away, get out of the game. But of course, then I. Uh, you know, came to my senses and realized that trades are not zero sum. Uh, the sport itself is largely zero sum, but the trades are not. There's 30 teams, and two of them can uh, both improve relative to the other 28. And presumably, if you have any faith in your opponents being rational actors who have an idea what they're doing, they also will be improving themselves. So the marginal benefit to a team finding a trade partner outside their division. Uh, is actually a little bit greater because they're uh, unless you unless you actually do think you're hurting the other team. If it was a straight, you know, like if you were trading your shortstop for the other guy's shortstop and nothing else was changing and there were no other factors involved, um, and it was simply a bet that your guy was going to be worse than their guy and and you wanted to swap them, then you should because you're hurting them as you improve yourself. But if you're making a trade that um, you know puts you in position to win this year while giving the other team what they want, which is maybe a, a, a thicker farm system and payroll relief and a window in two years or something like that, um, then you would rather not play into their plan. In fact, in, in fact, I have come to the point to the conclusion now that in almost any sport or game, the best strategy is to simply disrupt your opponent's strategy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, if that were the case, you would definitely want to avoid doing anything that your division rival uh, would plan to. But of course, uh, all the same, there are three other teams in your division, and you could both improve at the expense of the other three. Um, and so, you wouldn't be that worried about helping. Uh, your division rival get slightly better if it improved you by enough, and that was where your best way of improving is. Mm-hmm. All right. I like. I like. I do like when teams trade within the division. I, I find it to be a, um, a 
even though I just said what I just said, <laughs> I do find it to be an admirable uh, and rational bucking of trends when, for instance, the A's and the Rangers make a trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I generally support it. I like seeing it happen, but if I were a GM, I would be, uh, I would usually try to find the same uh, means of improvement uh, from, a, from the other league. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rick in Seattle wants to know, what is one piece of data outside of the standard field effects or something similar that isn't currently being tracked that you'd like to see tracked? For instance, John Miller keeps track of every broken bat on his scorecard, which would be great data to have league-wide. Um, so, I, if we're if we're throwing out field effects, uh, so many things are 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 tracked. I think that we don't even realize are tracked. Like if you see a. Uh, if you look at like Inside Edge's products or Baseball Info Solutions or all of those various data providers, they really do track uh, almost everything that you could that you could think of. Um, for instance, broken bats, which I agree is is kind of a cool thing. I don't know. I think it has some utility probably, but that is tracked by one of those providers. I've seen some of that data at some point. I guess my pick would be. Uh, relievers warming up. I don't know whether anyone tracks that. I, I assume that the team tracks that about their own guys, how often they they got up and then didn't come into the game. Um, I kind of doubt that that's something that's tracked by any of the third-party providers. So that would be an interesting thing that I'd like to see. I don't have an answer for this. I, I'm sorry. Okay. I would I would like to have an answer. I can't think of anything. There, I'll keep thinking. Yeah. Uh, do you have an answer to Rick's other question, which is, what is your favorite baseball video game? Uh, the only baseball video game I ever played was Bases Loaded Two, mm. <laughs> and I I liked Bases Loaded Two a lot. Except uh, there were there were like two pitchers in the game out of the whole universe of pitchers who threw slightly above a uh, slightly higher in the strike zone and it was ex- it was really hard to hit them like it was almost nothing you could do to hit them so you would just keep playing until you got to those games and then I don't know what that is uh, you would keep playing until you got to those games and then you would be hopeless it was awful <laughs> then you never played another one no but I did like bases loaded too there was uh, it was fun <laughs> I, I never I play a lot of video games, but I don't really ever play sports video games. I used to play some baseball games. I used to play the EA ones, Triple Play and, and MVP Baseball, but I never, never really got into it. If I did play sports games, which I generally didn't, I usually played hockey and, and soccer games. felt like they, they made better video games. Um, Was your answer to the data question uh, like uh, what you thought would be most fun to know or what you thought would be most uh, ripe uh, for um, analysis? Because I was thinking of it more like I was kind of thinking what you could do the most with study wise. And somebody we used we talked one show about heart rate monitors yeah, and something like that. Like I would love something that measured. Um, you know, heart rate monitor would be good if you could somehow, uh, like Russell has proposed, uh, uh, sort of, uh, measuring, you know, players happiness, Mm -hmm. uh, that would be great. I would love to have a, a constant happiness meter on players. That might be my, my favorite thing, but, um, 
those are sort of things where you don't even know exactly what you would want to do with them, but there's like a million things that you can't possibly do without them. Uh, very pie in the sky things. So mm -hmm. stuff like that. Something that monitored like players' balance at all times. Mm -hmm. and yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and there's there's some company that's marketing a product that is doing like real time biomechanical stuff, just not even having to bring players into a lab and strap them up to a bunch of motion capture devices, but just actually being able to, to do that as they pitch on major league mounds, which seems like it would be an exciting thing if you figure out how to make the most of that data. Um, okay, Ian asks, when watching my local baseball broadcast, they show 11 stats. Uh, starts, record, ERA, innings pitched, hits, walks, strikeouts, uh, left-handed batting average, right-handed batting average, homers allowed when introducing a pitcher. If you were the person on the production team who chose those 11 stats, uh, which stats would you choose for an audience of BP subscribers? Or uh, hitters are introduced with five stats. Which stats would you choose? So uh, what if, if when they flash the little graphic, when the pitchers come on the screen and they're warming up, what stats would you want to see in that graphic, ideally? Hmm. Well, um, I'm pretty good at doing math in my head. So the things that I would want to see for my own benefit would be slightly different than the things that I would want to see if I were trying to like kind of evangelize. Mm -hmm. Um, but if it, if it were, if it were for myself, uh, and I'm not going to have 11 off the top of my head, but, um, I would like to see, um, I think what I would like to see is innings, strikeouts, walks, home runs, uh, and ERA, and then uh, this, and then a second column with the same five, but over the previous month uh -huh. for pitchers, mm -hmm. um, and uh, probably record just to annoy annoy <laughs> annoy people <laughs> and keep my dad happy. No, I don't know what the eleventh would be. But I think that basically would tell – like for a reliever, I think I might like to know – if I could have 12 for a reliever, it would be those five plus leverage index, average leverage index. Mm -hmm. um, and so those six for the season and for the previous uh, 30 calendar days. Mm. Okay. And, if it, and if, it were a, if it were a person who did not – who had not spent uh, the previous 30 calendar days in the majors, then I would want those six uh, – for the majors and for the minors. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I don't even know if I need that many stats. I I just kind of want I want innings pitched, and I want I, I'd probably want rate stats. I I could do the math in my head, but I'd rather not have to. So if you give me a, a strikeout percentage and a walk percentage, that would be nice, and maybe a a ground ball percentage would be interesting. And uh, I'd like to see some some repertoire stuff, which some broadcasts do. Tell tell me what pitches this guy throws and how hard he throws them and how often he throws them. Um, yeah, I think I'd rather have ground ball percentage than home runs. I changed. I, I'm yeah. taking that one out. I think, given the choice, I would rather I would rather just know his ground ball rate than his home run rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Um, and then. I don't know, for a hitter, I, I guess I'd just want to know, uh, I, I just kind of want to see his slash stats and his plate yeah. appearances, and 
Yeah. I, yeah. I don't I don't need that much more for him. I can I I can dig up I, the, the details yeah. myself if I need to. There are very there are very few details that I would want to see consistently. Like you could have lefty righty splits, but uh, you know, for the most part, I'm just gonna regress those to the mean anyway. Like I'm not I'm gonna assume that they're uh, that they're not any more telling than his overall stats. I would probably just want the you know the slash stats and stolen bases so that I have some idea of whether he can run. I want to know how often he's reached on error. Just in, <laughs> just just in case Aoki comes up. <laughs> um, uh, okay, this is uh, you. You tweeted something about this earlier. I think Eric asks. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, okay. I think that I might like. This would be it would be so out of place to, to skip from the generalness of slash stats to this. But I actually would like to know uh, like infield hits plus bunts. <laughs> <laughs> so just basically we fold those together and just do infield hits. Just so that I know what kind of a player I'm looking at. Yeah. Okay. I'd want to know home runs too. Why not mm-hmm. home runs? Sure. So slash stats, home runs, infield hits, <laughs> stolen bases. And uh, average speed off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. If we can get that, I'd be I'd be up for that for sure. Um, okay. Uh, so Eric asked whether the next <laughs> the next great inefficiency is the Blue Jays knowing how to help pitchers with the knuckleball, uh, and he's referring to a tweet by Shai Davidi from earlier today who quoted Alex Anthopoulos and said that Tomo Oka, who the Blue Jays just signed to a minor league deal uh, and who has reinvented himself as a knuckleballer, uh, that that Oka is a no-risk proposition and that the Blue Jays are looking to bring in other potential knucklers and use their organizational knowledge of the pitch. You retweeted this tweet, so you must have thought it was significant. Or you just clicked (laughs) on it accidentally. (laughs) <laughs> this is gotcha journalism here. Yeah, <laughs> I retweeted it because it is. Uh, it was interesting for a few reasons. One, Toma Oka, right, throwing the knuckleball. That was probably why I retweeted it. Mm-hmm. Two, because uh, I had just been editing a uh, an essay by Shy, mm-hmm. and so <laughs> I was I was just flooded with yeah. goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> Three, we had talked about. Uh, we had talked about this sort of idea, right? We didn't we do a whole episode on this once? Who knows? We did and we talked about how there's a uh, We talked about uh, how what the, Bill James said about how yeah, it's how, difficult to to develop knuckleballers because you need to build this whole knuckleball infrastructure around them and find catchers who can catch them and coaches who can coach them and all of these yeah. associated costs to it. If you believe that there is an underutilized knuckleball ability in the world and that baseball is going to sort of move toward this in, or could somehow move toward this, then there would be a first mover advantage to the team that um, you know builds the infrastructure to support it. So uh, that's what we talked about originally. That's why I retweeted it. And uh, I didn't have much to say about that besides I saw this tweet and I'm sharing it. <laughs> uh-huh. um, well, I guess that was basically Eric's Eric's purpose in sending it to us i i don't i don't know it, it's not as if they developed dicky uh, dicky has kind of uh been a knuckleball mentor for for some other pitchers who are not in the organization so i guess he could he could serve that purpose 
with Blue Jays pitchers, and uh, I don't I don't really know what other organizational knowledge of the pitch there there is really. Um, but Josh Tolley is there, and I guess he can catch it. <laughs> I don't know. The thing about the previous question is that a, a lot of what I would want to know, almost everything I would want to know beyond the slash stats is descriptive and doesn't do as well with stats for hitters, not as much for pitchers, and doesn't do as well with stats as it does with um, with kind of descriptive words because a lot of these numbers aren't really intuitive or they um, what seems like a high swing rate um varies depending on what kind of hitter you are and how you do your damage and how pitchers pitch to you. So, like, I'm thinking of how if you go to Brooks um, now and you search for a player, um, the first thing you see is he does, like, a hitter-at-a-glance thing using all the hitter's, um, you know, rates at various pitches and his contact rates and everything. And it's, like, this... It's really amazing. And every time I go to a player, uh, it helps me focus my... Uh, opinions or feelings about that player even before I've dug in to all the charts and tables and and spray charts and and such so it'll be like Logan Morrison in 2013 it says against all fastballs he has a very good eye and a steady approach at the plate with a league average likelihood to swing and miss and I just read that sentence with just the words there's in parentheses there's all his numbers but you can you can either read the numbers or you can skip the numbers it's it becomes very intuitive it takes these numbers that are hard to to process uh, in isolation and makes them very understandable. And probably I would be happy to have slash stats and then just that, um, mm-hmm. where it's a combination of the words and the numbers, but uh, the numbers are very easily skipped over if you're not uh-huh. into it. Like Dan bolds all the key words, so yeah. it's really, really easy to read. Brooks Baseball, by the way, is like, I don't know, what it, it got redesigned, what, a year ago? It's Less so than, good. Yeah. It's so good now. It's like incredible <laughs> how much I use it. it. He has done an incredible job on it. So everybody should have always been using this. But if it's been a while since you've gone to Brooks, it is an amazing place to look at players right now. It's true. Uh, I was looking at I was looking at it when I was writing about RNCBA the other day, and I I was actually wondering how to use that that text because you think of RNCBA as a guy who has a, a terrible eye he chases a lot of pitches and he never walks and everything and and so the text says against all fastballs he has had a poor eye against breaking pitches he has had an exceptionally poor eye against off-speed pitches he has had a very good eye i don't know i wasn't sure what to to make of that should i conclude that he actually does see off-speed pitches particularly well or is it just that it's a smaller sample of pitches and so we Probably shouldn't conclude as much. Um, I don't know what to make of the the differences between pitch types, and I guess I'd like to see a, a combined description against all. Well, yeah, and you would also want to know how much um, variation there is from from player to player, and how consistent those things are, because it, it could actually be that there are hitters. I mean, maybe Aaron Cibia really is good at spotting a breaking ball, I mean, mm-hmm. spotting an off-speed pitch out of the hand, or maybe that's not a location where he generally chases. A, a well-placed uh, change-up might not be the location that he uh, chases. And maybe, um, you know, maybe he doesn't like low fastballs, and so it doesn't really fool him. Uh, or, like you said, maybe it's it's nothing. So you'd re- I, don't, I don't know intuitively how much variation there is from player to player and whether that's mm-hmm. true. Uh, but 
at this point in my life, I spend probably more time at Brooks Baseball than any uh, <laughs> than any other site in in the internet. Hmm. Um, okay, this one seems like it should be pretty easy. I think it's Brady asks when I am lying in bed getting ready to go to sleep. Occasionally, an email idea pops into my head. The other night, as I was wondering how many years would Mike Trout have to play before you would consider him worthy of the Hall of Fame? Assume that Trout doesn't suffer any life-changing Tony Canigliaro type of injury. So the answer is just 10 years, right? I mean, if he if he plays at this level or something close to this level, then he just has to make it to the minimum number of years to be eligible. In fact, if he if he played this well for for eight or nine years, I would probably support waiving waiving the ten year eligibility rule just for him. Um, yeah, rephrase the question and one and 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 actually, do you think that there is a point that uh, he could be so good that they would change the rules if he decided to walk away for some reason? Presumably, like let's say it's a non tragic reason he leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a part like maybe it maybe he gets glaucoma which would be a non-tragic but slightly tragic pretty tragic way. yeah but <laughs> that's, i mean not, not oh is that not tragic nah, it's not he's not dead tragic tragic is tra- tra- i think tragic specifically i think tragic specific uh, don't you think tragic specifically is limited to to dying mm, i don't know maybe i would consider that pretty tragic um but if <laughs> You're googling tragic. I am. I'm, I actually want to know the. <laughs> okay. Uh, 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 I don't know. Well, so, whatever the definition of tragic is, I would also amend that definition to include Mike Trout retiring early because of blindness. Um, uh-huh. So, so but, yeah. But let's just say he, let's just say he 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 got bored and wanted to be in movies or mm-hmm. something like that. Sure. Do you think that eight years of this they would change the rules, or are the rules the rules? Uh, gosh, I would I would support a rule change because at that point, presuming presumably he's he's an eighty win player at that point if he continues to post ten win seasons, and if he's an eighty win player, he's better than a a large large selection of Hall of Famers. Um, How are you going to change the rules for a guy who never even won an MVP? Yeah, and someone who walked away from the game because he didn't care enough about baseball to keep playing. Um, I don't know if they would if they would do it for him. I would I would support it just out of the just from the the it's a museum and you want the best baseball players ever in it. And at that point, he would have had the best yeah. peak of any player ever. Um, you would you would support there being no rule to waive. You I I can't imagine you would think that there yeah. should be an arbitrary restriction on this. Uh, I guess I guess so. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't I don't know that I would want it to go so far that you're you know putting in Mark Fidrich or something because he has like a a really good year and he captures everyone's imagination. It, at that point, it's the Hall of Famous, not the Hall of you know whatever. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, eight years of Mike Trout, seven years of Mike Trout, for that matter. I would I would put him in. Not six. Six is six is borderline. I don't think six? I'd put him in for six. You're not a but. I mean, if you're a peak guy, though, he would have he would <laughs> yeah. have a something like a. I mean, he'd be a top five peak. 
that point. Yeah, even if you even if you added in a zero year, probably to to get mm-hmm. to seven years, which is what Jay Jaffe uses for his peak calculation. Um, yeah. Let me uh, ask you this: How many how many wins he's been? He's like a twenty two win player so far. That's crazy. <laughs> in t- in two years, how many win? How many wins will he have by ten? Uh, let's imagine that he does. Let's imagine he does quit after ten. Okay. How many wins? How many wins do you think he'll have? Um. Uh, all right, and he he just walks away from the game. He doesn't have to quit. Uh, I'm, I'll say he. I'll say he averages. I don't know seven wins, maybe, over yeah. over the next eight years. So he'll have. What fifty six plus twenty two? He'll have almost eighty wins. Uh, yeah, that's and he'll that's be he'll be thirty or, or less or something. Yeah, he's uh, uh, he just finished his age twenty one, so he'll be he'll be twenty nine. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, let's see the uh, the most that any player has ever had through age twenty nine is. Um, uh, loading. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Mickey Mantle had eighty four. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm knocking out Ty Cobb and Rogers mm-hmm. Hornsby for mm-hmm. era. So Mantle at eighty four, A Rod at eighty one. Mm-hmm. Well, so, uh, so he, right. yeah, so he needs to get about sixty in eight years. So about seven and a half player, uh-huh. which would be a an incredible success that you probably shouldn't bet on, but uh, that's what that's what some guys do, and he's on a good rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, is that it? Or can we do one more? Are you leaving? We can do one more. Okay. Uh, this one comes from Vinit in Milwaukee. Um, so he is asking whether you could come up with a robot or a computer GM to approximate the moves that a human GN makes. Uh, he, he says, Baseball Prospectus recently ran a guest piece about Team Core wins by Jonathan Judge. I wonder if you could use that along with expected payroll and expected team wins, et cetera, to come up with a metric to grade each trade that a team makes. If you could grade each trade, free agent signing, contract extension, et cetera, could you construct a robot slash computer GM to make all the moves a hu- human GM makes the owner would have to input variables such as win now or win in 2015 to 16 and payroll. The computer would go through each possible move, grade it, and make the best ones. Do you think human GMs would be more or less likely to trade with robot GMs? On the one hand, there would be no warm human interaction, which doesn't really seem to exist now anyway in the, the text message era. On the other hand, a robot would not be offended by ridiculous trade offers. Human GMs would offer all kinds of trades to see if they could somehow game the system. No? Doesn't this feel like a trap? <laughs> don't, don't you think like, he's trying to trap us? This is Murray Chass. He's <laughs> writing a letter under somebody else's name, and he's going to he's going to reprint this if we say something incriminating. Yeah, this is the ultimate the ultimate stat head <laughs> question. I I actually think the answer is is a uh, is a definitive no, and I'll explain my uh, I'll explain why. Um, there was a time where I would use um, I would use Pakoda so um, uh, so so faithfully in a fantasy draft in my two person fantasy draft in fact that I I would just 
have no opinion whatsoever. I would just go straight down the line. And what I found is that that doesn't actually work. You, you, the, you have to be able to spot the, say, 10% of cases or maybe 5% of cases where you're smarter than Pakoda. Mm-hmm. You, it's good to be. It's good to be to generally rely on a system instead of yourself. Like usually, I would say a system, any system is better than no system, and it's good to rely on on a good system. However, there are always going to be extremes where um, you have to be able to spot the mistake and not get tricked by it. Because the problem is that those five percent of mistakes are where your opponents are going to zero in on you. You're basically going to be a sitting duck on those 5% of mistakes if you don't if you don't spot them. So um, basically, it's not that, like, let's say the system gets 95 out of 100 things right. Well, in most of those 95 cases, there's not going to be any action. You're not going to be making trades that's like knowledge that doesn't do that much for you because it's basically just you're going to keep your guy and the other team is going to keep their guy. And you have this knowledge, but you don't do much with it. But the 5%, if you're actually willing to trade your worst player for the good player, um, I mean, the uh, yeah, the other way around, your good player for the worst player, um, then the teams are going to immediately zero in on those, and you're going to make all of the 5% of bad trades. You're basically going to get crushed on the mistakes. So you have to be able to filter out the mistakes and say, I'm not going to do that. And as an example, uh, one of the projection systems currently has, uh, at least somebody told me this, uh, Billy Burns, the five foot nine uh, outfielder who um, was traded for Jerry Blevins yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, it has Billy Burns as a better player right now than Mark Trumbo, um, as far as projections for 2014. Mm-hmm. And that's wrong. That's not true. That Billy Burns is not a better player right now than Mark Trumbo. And if you had a computer that thought it was and was willing to make that trade, it would take 12 seconds for a GM to make that trade and take Trumbo for you from you and get Billy Burns. You have to be able to say, this does not pass the smell test, and I'm not going to do it. So that's what a sufficiently advanced computer projection system, though, would would have the ability to to sniff that, right? I mean, you you could incorporate scouting information or something. You'd incorporate you know, biographical details, and he's he's this... I mean, what Pakoda attempts to do by by looking at comparable players and, and height and weight and all of those things, but but better, I guess, um, and, you know, looking at looking at players who had that that level of, of minuscule power at that level and what happened to them when they made the majors, and you could you could incorporate scouting reports, right? We're not saying everyone in the organization is a robot. You'd still have human scouts and you could you could incorporate their ratings somehow. Um, and you could you could make the system smarter. I mean you could you I mean there are robot GMs, right? In in baseball video games. Um, I I don't know how how good Oh my they gosh, we're now we're now combining the <laughs> the robot and baseball video game arguments simultaneously. If you can get your fantasy team, I already got my fantasy team into this I don't have a fantasy actually. team, so I can't. <laughs> wow. Um, but but it's true, right? I mean, my my college roommate when he wasn't in class was playing out of the park baseball for like 8 hours a day and that game and and any franchise mode in a baseball video game has has a robot GM who will propose trades and theoretically will reject trades if you offer a very lopsided deal. Now, 
I guess that's probably mostly if you're trading major leaguers and then it's easy to compare performance um, and and not having a lot of experience with with sort of uh, baseball simulators and franchise modes. I don't really know how easy it is to game those systems, but but that's sort of a, a rudimentary thing that we're we're talking about here. Um, I would imagine you you could be right. I mean, I I still think that humans um, aren't very good at making the right. uh, Humans are not very good at making something um, that is correct, but they're very good at spotting something that's wrong like that. We're good at noticing when something is just a little askew. Right. Right. Like that's what the uncanny valley is. It's like you take one percent away from it and we can spot that. Our brains are really good at picking up minute air differences between um, optimal and suboptimal. And so we can't necessarily create an optimal situation every time, but we can kind of avoid the disaster. So I still think that even if you had, uh, you know, a computer system that was extremely um, effective at, at, at making the right decision um, a lot, I think that the wrong decisions would still be, um, would require, you know, like human, human guidance to avoid. So if you're suggesting that there's a robot GM as well as, a bunch of humans running it or making the ultimate decision. Well, that's basically what we're talking about in real life, right? I mean, every right. every team's got their every uh, something. I mean, I would I would guess twenty eight teams at least have their their projection systems uh, that are you know running right now. So mm-hmm. uh, so the answer is yes. <laughs> I'd be curious how long it would take the other GMs to realize that there was a robot GM among them, because we <laughs> we keep reading about how the the new breed of GM communicates almost solely via via text, at least in the the lead up stages to a deal and text messages and email. Uh, and if you could, maybe maybe that's how they would tell because. The computer would sound like a like an, an instant message bot, and it wouldn't be a, a convincing facsimile of a GM. But if you're not actually on the phone with these guys every day or seeing them that often, you could you could get away with it for a while. You just have a just have a figurehead front office guy who pretends to be the GM. For all we know, every team has a robot GM. Mm. For all we know, we are robots ourselves. I'm sure there will be robot podcasters someday. There are there are already robot game story writers, uh, so there there will be robot baseball podcasters at some point in the near future, and then we can finally take take some time off. Uh, so we are going to take the next couple days off. We will be back on Monday. Uh, we welcome you to join our Facebook group at facebook.com/groups/effectivelywild. As always, there is a lot of good discussion going on in there with many of you uh, interacting. And we ask you to rate and review the show and subscribe to the show on iTunes because that's how we find new listeners. That's how iTunes knows that you're listening and other people know that they should be listening. Uh, And you can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. So we hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will be back next week.